Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm Nikki and my aim is to introduce you to all the wonderful people working in robotics or with robotics in Australia. Today, my guest is Mark Whitty. Mark is a senior lecturer in the mechatronics discipline within the School of Mechanical and Manufacturing Engineering at the University of New South Wales. His expertise is digital viticulture, horticulture sensing, image processing, autonomous systems, 3D mapping, unmanned ground vehicles and robotics. I'm sure that's not all, but Mark, welcome and thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you, Nikki. It's great to be here with you and to share something about what we do in robotics. Listen, fabulous. What does a mechatronics degree entail at the University of New South Wales? So a mechatronics degree is a four-year program and it's made up of about 32 courses. Students take this as an honours program. Many students begin straight after high school and once they finish, go on and work at many companies, large tech companies, startups, consulting, and a range of places. Okay. So, so, do you so within the program, while you'll do 32 courses, there it will become more specialized as you go through the program. So students start out doing a generic engineering style first year of mathematics, physics, engineering fundamentals. They also learn a bit about programming, which is a fundamental aspect of robotics. And then in second year and third year, it will go deeper into the engineering technical detail, finally ending up with more project related courses in the final year third and final year, where you have a chance to put everything together and see systems that you can build. Okay, so have you seen an increase in, in students in this um, degree? Over the last eight years, we've had the, an increase of 16% per annum on average. So we've seen an almost exponential growth up until last year in enrolments. And as of last year, we were getting over 200 students beginning each year in the Mechatronic Engineering Program at UNSW. Okay, so in terms of the industry, Mark, I mean, I'm assuming that's just University of New South Wales. This would be across Australia at all universities. Can you talk to that or? So from colleagues I've heard from at Sydney Uni and UTS, there has been similar levels of growth in mechatronic engineering in the last few years. There's also been growth in master's level programs for students wanting to either change discipline or gain additional skills beyond the undergraduate program. And are there enough jobs in industry to support the students that you're pumping out? How, what's, what's the correlation there? There's a massive increase in the amount of jobs that are available. And students sometimes find challenges in saying exactly what do mechatronics engineers do. And industry are not advertising widely for pure mechatronics engineers. You'll usually see mechatronics engineers advertised under a banner of systems engineering, mechanical engineering, sometimes computer science, software engineering, sometimes a little bit of electrical engineering, or grouped together with those disciplines. So while our grads are great at getting jobs, a lot of them 
uh, headhunted or end up with roles internationally, particularly in the US. So there are opportunities out there. I've kept a watch on job opportunities over the last 10 years, and like enrollments, the advertised opportunities for mechatronics engineers have been increasing dramatically in that time. And that's a trend that I expect will continue to grow over the next five to 10 years. We have so many places where mechatronic engineering skills can be applied. And they're so often tied up with keywords like AI, machine learning, computer vision, as you'll see a little bit later. Um, so students do tend to have a wide range of places where they can. What's the, um, like I'm assuming you need STEM subjects to do the sort of degree, correct assumption? Yeah, that's right. So students usually come in having done mathematics in high school, some of them will have done physics to some extent, but that gives you the fundamental basis. However, when you get to uni, the basics that you need are covered again in first year. So there are plenty of paths into engineering programs. All right. So is the university going out as a drive to get mechatronic engineers? Like, do you have um, students that are maybe in the third, fourth year going to high schools and, and speaking with students, particularly the female students, as to why they should be considering this career? There's a lot of focus at the faculty level on attracting female students to engineering. There's the Women in Engineering program that does that kind of outreach and supports students. There are a lot of extracurricular activities where students are engaged in. So there are things like RoboCup, the uh, robotics challenges that run in high school and even down to primary school level. So there are a number of students that are at uni that are mentoring teams from high school students. And that's probably one of the most effective ways that we have of outreach. Okay, and what's your ratio at the moment, um, your male versus female students? I believe in students that are coming in in first year, it's around 25% female to male ratio. And that's been increasing quite substantially over the last five to 10 years. So there is progress being made to improve the disparity that's traditional amongst engineering degrees. Okay, and like a very interesting field that I've, I've touched on with other guests is once once everyone's um, qualified and they've gone into industry, does the university, I know this is not your job, but do you have any stats of who actually stays in the industry and, and how it all evolves and why there's such a drop off rate? So I don't have stats directly to hand to say where people end up, but I have looked at the different industries. A lot will end up in manufacturing. Okay. Uh, a number will end up in information technology, so purely software or programming roles. Quite a few end up in simple engineering consultancies or generic engineering roles. Some will end up going to different areas, so they might end up working in civil engineering areas, applying technology in those areas. Some of them end up just simply doing management consulting. Some in particular with UNSW having a combined Masters of Biomed program. There is a biomed industry in Sydney where quite a few of our graduates end up 
that. So major biomedical companies. And beyond that, students end up going to places that deal with autonomous cars. Some work at Tesla, some work at major international software companies, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, where Waymo, where our grads are all ending up. So Tesla, the, hey, we, we're waiting for Elon Musk to just send out a tweet today again to get everything crashing. So, <laughs> yeah, I think the most curious place I've seen someone end up in when I looked through quite a few hundred of our alumni was someone ended up working for the casino. So I'm not sure if they're looking at the tech behind it or whether they were working at the front of the house. But, uh, I'm assuming you didn't follow up and go, listen, let me know what you're doing here. It looks slightly sus. <laughs> I <laughs> uh, haven't followed that one up. <laughs> so what's the intersection between industry and academia to ensure students are as qualified as they can be? And um, like, how do you stay current? So most of us as academics have a role that is only 40% teaching. So at least another 40% of our time is spent on research. That can be engaging with major research projects, it can be smaller tasks, it can be consulting work. And it's usually through that that we have opportunity to work with industry to see the techniques that are being used to apply things that are close to the state of the art. And so that general knowledge feeds back into what's used in teaching. On other levels, we actively go out there and talk to alumni to gain feedback on what skills did you learn that were useful? What skills do you wish you had learned that were suitable for teaching here in an academic context? And we use those to improve the programs. And in fact, we're going through a major revision of the mechatronic program at the moment, gaining industry feedback. So if anyone out there has feedback on the program that's listening to the podcast, we're very open to hear more uh, to learn from. Fantastic. We, anyway, we'll put your email in the show notes and um, grateful for anyone out there with excellent feedback. Um, your particular area of interest is... Uh, agricultural robotics. So can you can you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, so uh, recently we started, sorry, a few years ago, we began with a project using image processing for yield estimation. And the idea was to have a vehicle driving along the rows of a vineyard, observing what was visible and making estimates from that for the final yield to solve an issue that the growers had in predictions, contract management, tank space allocation and winery logistics. That meant that our focus as a team became on the image processing aspects of that problem a little bit less on the hardware aspects. So that got us interested in looking at agricultural robotics and seeing what's done out there. And as to where the state of the art is and what the current challenges are with agricultural robotics, the foundational tech we need to solve all of these problems exists already. So there are aspects of it that need future research, but a lot of it is focused around the development and ironing out those bugs that stop the uptake or have the, the farmers complaining about it not working in a certain situation. I'd say it's somewhat similar, although far less developed than what we see with autonomous vehicles on the road. There has been decades of work in autonomous vehicles 
and we're getting to higher and higher degrees of automation, but we're not there yet to a level where it's plug and play in any situation. The same thing applies in agricultural robotics, although we're probably a few years behind in terms of tech compared with autonomous vehicles. So challenges at the moment still remain in sensing robustly, particularly when you've got the semi-unstructured environments of a farm where you can have interactions with wildlife of any kind, whether it be spiders crawling across the lenses, whether it be birds interacting with the system, whether it be avoiding running over the wildlife that's running around there. There are still challenges in sensing to be overcome. Okay. But there are particular challenges in getting solutions out there that farmers can actually use and see value in. We can observe a lot of things, but turning that into a product, the farmer can say, hey, that's just saved me $10,000 because it either guided a decision, showed me further insight into a particular problem, saved me labor time, improved the quality of the product that I'm generating. That's where our focus is. So are farmers, um, are they wanting this technology? I mean, like you, you, you're solving a problem for them, but let's assume, let's assume that they think they have a problem to be solved. Absolutely. So you get phone calls from farmers saying, hey, I've got this particular problem. I need someone to, to work on it. I had a, a message from a farmer we know just earlier in the week saying, hey, why can't we get an autonomous slasher or mower running around in our paddock? You can buy a small mower. What happens if we just put a GPS on it? Can't we make it work autonomously and have it run out there? And from the technical side, when I look at something like that, it's like, yeah, absolutely, we can do this. Then putting it out there, being covered for insurance, maintenance, service, that's the harder problem. And that's something that we need more focus on support for in the industry at the moment. You know what, I think you've touched on a, a crucial point that's the insurance aspect of this autonomous vehicle. This is what I think is actually conniving everything because yes, it is, you know, like the, the technology certainly has developed. And if I look at Elon Musk's driverless vehicles and accidents that have been reported in the last couple of weeks of uh, people potentially sitting in the back, it's, the, it's, it's who is responsible for what's gone on here. And I, I don't know how far they are in, in this conundrum because I think it is a conundrum. Yeah, there are certainly academics and researchers working on those problems as we speak. And I'm sure you've spoken to some of them already, but it's something that needs a fair bit of attention yeah. to not only build the technical frameworks, but to build the quality assurance frameworks and what's needed for the insurance itself, to also build an understanding in the community of what's possible and why is it possible. So while a farmer might just want to use something, there may be those aspects behind the scenes that are the reason why things are not happening. Yeah. That said, the industry is growing. There are startup after startup coming up, which are testing out these ideas and expanding them right now. And it's great to watch them. So in terms of anything commercially available for farmers now, is there something on the market? Or, and if not, when do you think we can expect something? The closest and the standout example for agricultural robotics is Swarm Farm, mm -hmm. which provide 
at the moment focused on broad agriculture, robots that are able to automatically go along, do spot spraying, and put a range of implements on the back, but run fully autonomously. They're here. They're commercially being used. I was talking to the team yesterday and seeing a number of robots running around the country. So yes, that's here, right? It, it works. When you come to environments like horticulture, where there's some more obstacles, there are still challenges in getting them running. There was a company displaying autonomous robots running up and down vineyards just last week uh, in Blenheim in New Zealand. So the tech is actively here and there are a few examples that are commercially available. On the sensing side, if you're looking at horticulture, then Green Atlas is the go-to team for large-scale image capture and processing. On a scale where farmers can just put a device uh, on their tractor and run up and down the rows for viticulture or horticulture. Then Bitwise Agronomy is another company that has commercial solutions for sensing there. In terms of other hardware out in the field, um, Agoras obviously have devices that are being developed now. There are systems out there that will do weed detection off the back of quad bikes, auto weed being one of those. But in terms of just generically, can I have a robot to do anything? There doesn't seem to be a wide variety of products. They tend to be either specialized or they take a lot of time and effort to, to make specialized to perform a specific task. But we'll see them popping up more and more in the coming years. Yeah. So I suppose hand in hand with that then is the rise of the robotic engineers. Like, I mean, there'll be a demand for these people. Absolutely. We always worry about taking away jobs, don't we? That's the first fear that, that comes up. But there are so many people needed to implement the robots to understand what's needed to apply them out in the field. Support and maintenance are major industries that there will be lots of people required to support these devices wherever they're being used, usually in difficult environments. So there's a, a massive amount of roles there. We've talked about making things more specialised. So there are situations where you might have a platform that works in one crop, but you need it to adapt for another crop. You need the mechatronic engineers to understand the system as a whole and to be able to adapt it to work in new situations and new environments. So, yeah, definitely more and more roles coming out there, particularly in the field robotics space. So in terms of universities, when they, um, they, they're pumping out these students, are you talking to your, your peers across Australia, um, you know, what they're doing and, and are they facing the same issues that you may be facing? So in terms of the academic side of things, yes, there's been continued growth. Um, one thing that comes up a lot in discussions is that talent is being headhunted internationally. Mm. So maybe less of an issue in the last year with borders being restricted to some degree, but there are great jobs out there. Um, and usually or very frequently, students that have a degree of coding ability are snapped up by software engineering companies. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I get the feeling out there in the market 
Um, at the moment, there may be, not be enough, but suddenly we're going to get to a point where we don't have enough of our own Australians here um, being able to support our robotics industry. I'd say we're probably there now. Mm. Um, there's still call for robotics positions out there. So there's there are jobs open right now for robotics engineers that haven't been filled for months. So yeah, it's definitely still growing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a funny situation because Australia is not that great on its uptake. I mean, you know, you, you talk we're doing much more than we have, but out of 38 countries, we rate 35th in terms of our adoption rate of robotics. So doesn't that just say there's a huge opportunity? Exactly. Yes. But, <laughs> I like, get the positive on this. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. So you mentioned RoboCup earlier in your discussion. What what role does robotic competitions have in promoting STEM education? So robotic competitions are great for building the excitement, understanding what will happen, and building the foundational expertise in how robotics sensing and perception processing systems work. And it's quite fascinating to see students even at the primary school level, building devices that do things that are at and what we're teaching at the university level. So um, getting the excitement there is, is one of the first things that the robotics competitions do before students get to the university level. At the university level, students that engage in these extracurricular projects in many situations get the real hands-on experience dealing with situations in a competitive environment. They're dealing with sensors that are not limited to the lab environment in lab circumstances. They're understanding that things absolutely have to work on time, on demand. And so there's a very agile development cycle. Let's just build it and then incrementally improve over time and keep trying to break it. But when you've got a deadline, you've got to be very careful how you manage that. So I feel a lot of our students here, particularly at UNSW, have access to a wide range of competitive robotics groups, competitions. They go around the world to participate in these competitions. They've taken students to Florida, to um, Minneapolis, um, to Abu Dhabi a couple of times now. And students have gone beyond that. They've gone to competitions in Europe. They've gone to different places in Australia for events. And so students really get a chance to travel when we could yeah. um, and see their peers. And one of the fascinating aspects about that was an event we went to in the US in 2015, where a team of about 10 students came over to build an autonomous robot in international ground vehicle competition. When we got there, there were I believe it was over 30 teams participating, including groups from military colleges, local universities, and other international universities coming to this one event. Now, the team were pretty well drilled uh, and practiced. And despite hiccups along the way and different aspects of the problem, they ended up having the best performing vehicle on the field. And so those students could walk away from it Number one, being able to say, we've learned the capability throughout our program and with our extracurricular projects, 
to be able to compete at an international level and beat really great teams out there. Secondly, they can walk away with that on their resume and say, we were able to achieve to this standard. This is what we can do. We can make things work, not just in the lab environment, not just with the inverted pendulum experiment, but actually in real situations. Yeah. And that has helped those students with the extracurricular experience really giving them an edge in getting jobs. So that that's the particular benefit we see with STEM education and extracurricular competitions. So the first thing that came to mind when you said they won, I went, I, they probably, they've all been stolen overseas. <laughs> They'll yes. come back eventually, but I can imagine they're all sitting there watching and they go, they like these Australians. They're going to offer them jobs. They're good workers and they're nice people. <laughs> I think uh, four of the team at the moment are working overseas. Yeah. Uber, Waymo, Intel. So, Yes. Doing That's amazing things. Great. Listen, you know what? It's actually good, Mark, because you you want you want our talent to go overseas. And um, as Professor Michael Mulford said, it's it's essential. You go and meet new people and you do stuff, but eventually you want to bring this knowledge back to Australia. And, and that's my hope for everyone is that we can create an industry here that's competitive and that there's enough money and they, you know, the all the whole all the package things that you need to look at that they go, yes, it makes sense to come back to Australia. Yeah, and that's something we can definitely work on. I know some of the people that have gone to the international companies have come back to work here. Mm. Um, and particularly in the software space, there's been some attraction to come back and work here. Um, and perhaps you make your money in an international company, you come back and you help with a startup where the financial pressure is not so high and you're looking at something for a particular interest, that's one way in which it happens, but we also need more jobs to be grown at the senior and advanced levels in robotics. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the roles that we have advertised are grad roles for engineers, which is great, yeah. but you also need longer term roles that will push people and encourage people throughout their careers 10, 20, 30 years beyond. You know, I think there's there's such a groundswell in robotic people um, in the industry that I'm, I'm speaking with, you know, across because, you know, like I've done about 35 of these interviews now and certainly we have the capability, we have the people in Australia willing to do it. I think we we on sort of the cusp of a, a next push through of the robotics um, the industry really becoming united and it becoming like a, a force to be reckoned with in itself because robotics falls under, you know, if you're doing any census on government, you know, there's no robotics category that it doesn't feature anyway. So there have been some updates to the classification of research under the government categorizations that have Excellent. improved yeah. the categories there. That's the fields of research that are used very formally in grant applications uh, and, and funding opportunities. That, that was updated a couple of years ago uh, with support from the Australian Robotics and Automation Association. Mm -hmm. um, but beyond that, the government is clearly investing in artificial intelligence with announcements very recently. Yeah. And generally, robotics has fallen under a subcategory of AI there. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to see those subcategories expand and let's hope in a few years time the government is not just saying 
we're supporting AI, but we're actually supporting robotics. Yeah. Look, I think there will be a fly-on effect. I, you, you can't have the one without the other one. You know, you mentioned software. I was reading a Twitter feed yesterday of a guy that put out there and said, um, mention Australian success companies. And my jaw nearly dropped. I, I looked at it. There were about 20 companies, and they, they're they all employing between 50 and 100 people. They're global. I think, I think one of the tragedies about Australians is that you know, we're all so busy trying to get ahead and do our stuff. We forget to actually stop and tell the world how great we are because there's some huge success stories happening here in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, particularly in the software space, as you yeah. said. So just going back to the very beginning when we talked about the mechatronic engineering program, maybe you can ask the question, well, if I want to do robotics, what should I study? And the first thing that comes to my mind is, of course, mechatronics it has the flexibility, but the other pathway that's frequently taken is a computer science degree. And students can come in, spend three years, or do honours, spend four years, and that gets you more of the fundamental software programming. Now, of course, within mechatronics, we are adding more and more computing, but the ideal situation for a robotics engineer is to do both. Yeah. And that's offered by many universities that combined mechatronics and computer science program is very popular and we get a lot of students in and students that come out the other end are saying that's what you should do yeah so just know that's a very good option yeah that's an obvious to me because I mean I work with a hardware and I look at it and I go I need some software guru here to come and come and do something here for me all right write an app for me um you know particularly my telepresence robot temi because it's alexa integrated and it's it's and it's open to all app developers actually i should make a competition for university students i, th I think that's what i should do mark you've given me an idea i'm going to give them and they're going to win a temi or something if they for the best written app or something that will be a motivation so personally for you mentors a lot across your career um do you have one what's your view on it do you think it's important for students out there and people beginning it's absolutely critical to have mentors to go and ask for support to have someone just to talk about the situation you're in to provide guidance for ways forward whether it be technical guidance whether it be career guidance how to manage certain situations I've had a career support committee, the uni sets that up for younger academics, and they were two more senior professors within the university who were able to give me advice and support on things as simple as where to fund funding, what your focus should be. So in an academic perspective, that's been great. Um, talking to people in industry has also been helpful in getting feedback on where we're going, understanding the direction. So yeah, absolutely support mentoring as, as much as possible yeah. and I think within mechatronics the best support team we've had is the mechatronics society at UNSW that formed about five or six years ago a group of passionate students and they're very much supportive of encouraging younger students in mechatronics helping them out advice and coursework but going beyond that organizing competitions just like you've mentioned They've run sumo water competitions. They've supported entries to the droid racing competition at QUT. There's a lot of social support around for the students, so you don't feel alone. You know, I I can't I I, I ask everyone this question, and I, I 
I think it is so important and so critical. I was speaking to a, um, a, a young girl at an event that attended, she's in a high school, and I asked her, do you have mentor? Do you have a mentor? Do you have anyone you're looking up to? Are you taking some advice from? And she, um, she said, no, she didn't. I said, you know, it's crucial. Don't think you're too young. You know, you, you're in year 11. You need to start thinking about your future and you need to start identifying who the people in the industries that you want to go to and start looking at them, you know. And um, Professor Elizabeth Cross Croft was there. She's the Dean of Engineering at Monash because it was a Women's Day lunch. And, um, you know, again, she reiterated it and said, and it's it's mentors across the field. It's not just your academic, you know, it's personal. It's because people have actually learned stuff before you. And I always go, why do you want to learn the lesson again? Someone's actually learned the lesson already. Ask their advice. And, you know, if you have to learn a lesson, make sure it's not something that you go, oh, my goodness, I should have. I should have asked someone. Yeah, that's right. And I found when I was looking for choosing a career direction back in high school in year 10, I was looking at which direction to take and looking through the different unis, looking at what projects they're offered, even for the final year thesis and finding the supervisor and saying, hey, and going to open days is, oh, that supervisor does that thing. I really want to talk to them. And get an opportunity to chat and the supervisor at the time encouraged me to look at this particular program and go on and unfortunately he retired before I got a chance to do a thesis with him yeah but it was great to have that connection at the uni so for students looking for that advice don't be afraid to reach out talk to the faculty team send an inquiry it's great to get students that are enthusiastic and passionate about robotics so yeah, love to hear from you. Listen, if they're listening to you, your email is going to be in the show notes. They can contact you directly. And I encourage everyone to do it. And even if you're a parent and you've got kids and, um, you know, I, I've, I've spoken, I've had a lot of lecturers on, on the podcast and they're all willing and happy to receive emails. And I, parents out there, use these resources. They, these people are exceptionally nice and they're happy and they're more than willing to hear from you. So do it. <laughs> yeah, we stay here in academia because we're passionate about a particular topic. So if someone comes along and asks us about the topic of robotics or automation or image processing or ag, ag tech, then of course we're keen to talk about it. And even if we can't have an immediate conversation, find the right person to be in touch and build those relationships. Yes. So, yeah, love oh, to that's hear and thank you. And thank you for your generosity and your time because, uh, you know, every email does need some due diligence and reflection to be. But I, um, again, parents, I encourage you, use these resources because you just you just don't know what sparks something off in your child's imagination and where they can end up. And, and that's what it's all about, this journey in education. Yeah, that's right. And talking about sparking the imagination, I've had a couple of changes of career direction interest was beginning as a railway engineering when I started um, at UNSW, which is why I started out in mechanical engineering with computer science. But in my final year, I saw the opportunity to get involved with robotics projects. And so I was able to change then and gain some experience, go on to further study. But where did that passion all come from? Where did the interest in robotics come from? Many of you will have seen the demo robot that sits in the powerhouse museum yeah. in Sydney that can dance to music, change its devices uh, and operate. And 
I'm not sure if it's still going strong. I believe it's not, but that was something that was just eye-opening for me um, as a child going there in, in primary school. So it's like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to be able to do that? Once you've been here and you can see, oh, that's, yeah, you understand how that works and, and what yeah. it's doing and, and where it can be applied. But uh, yeah, even if you're getting involved with, you know, Lego Mindstorms or robotics kits, if they spark the passion, then definitely consider a career in robotics where you can use those things. They might not be small toys. You might be driving autonomous mining trucks mm -hmm. somewhere or operating and developing them. So yeah, definitely follow that passion. Listen, this is part of my quest here is to make academia accessible to lay people in Australia. So this is what this podcast is all about, is that, you know, I've got I've got a broad range of people, but a lot of academia and everyone's out there being very willing to talk to people. So listeners and the audience, um, your invitation is there. It's up to you to, to, to do it and then just sit down and pen an email. Mark, any closing thoughts? Where, speaking of emails, what's the best email? And obviously LinkedIn, you're busy on that as well. Yeah, so my email is available there on LinkedIn or m.witty at unsw.edu.au. I'm sure it'll be in the comments. Definitely drop me a line through there or put a post and chat through LinkedIn. Um, very easily accessible um, in that way. And I think as we've touched on throughout this podcast, the opportunities for robotics in Australia are continually growing. So there's really, I don't see a limit to it. Um, and I see it's a great way forward to future-proof your career. Mark, thank you so much for your time. It's been really an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I look forward to your journey in the um, viticulture and, and the sensing that you're doing there. So I'll keep my eye out that and perhaps in a couple of months, um, we'll have you on again so you can speak more to that. And uh, to our listeners, thank you so much for joining me again. I look forward to uh, uh, having your company next week. If you haven't followed the podcast, please do leave a review and um, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Mark. Thank you.